Take your Bibles tonight, turn to 1 Samuel in chapter number 12, although we're going to read the last two verses of 1 Samuel 11 as we get started. I want to thank God again for all the good music we've enjoyed. Never take that for granted and just kind of get, oh well, about it. No, let's not do that. It's, it's, too, it's too good. It's too much of a blessing. Uh, just uh, be ho-hum about it. I don't detect that. I just thought I'd mention that preventatively. All right, for sure. Good to have guests here tonight. Uh, you see somebody that looks like a guest, make sure you introduce yourself. It's not like at a ball game where you don't maybe get around and meet everybody and get around to talk to everybody. But this, this church, we need to get around and greet everybody. I don't, I don't necessarily do that, you know, at Walmart or wherever else I go. Um, I mean, I do a little bit of it and weird some people out. That's okay. I mean, just go ahead and enjoy it, you know. But church, for sure, you ought to get to know your church family. So, and then our guests. We're sure glad that you're here and trust will be a blessing. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 11. Let's read the last two verses of chapter 11. It's a lengthy reading, so I'm going to just stay at it and read through um, chapter 12. But I, I really want to encourage you to pay good attention here uh, tonight. Then said Samuel to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened unto your voice in all that you said unto me, and have made, you, have made a king over you. And now behold, the king uh, walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. Behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood unto this day. Behold, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose ass have I taken? Or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it to you. I'm telling you, he had a clean record before the people of God. And they said, thou hast defrauded, not defrauded us, nor oppressed us. Neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, the Lord is witness against you. And his anointed is witness this day that ye have not found aught in mine hand. And they answered, he is witness. You're right. And Samuel, verse 6, if you're still following along here, verse 6. <clears throat> and Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob was come into Egypt and your fathers, notice this, cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forget the Lord, their God. Be about the book of Judges, right? When they forget the Lord, their God, he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, 
and they fought against them. Notice verse 10, and they what? They cried unto the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we will serve thee. And the Lord sent Jeroboam and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side and ye dwelled safe. Verse 12. And when you saw Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, come, came against you, you said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us. Something's different right there. Something's different. When the Lord your God was your king. Now therefore behold the king whom ye have chosen, whom ye have desired. And behold, the Lord has set a king over you. Now notice the grace and mercy of God right here. Verse 14. Even though they had blown it, here's what God says to them through Samuel the prophet. If ye will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. Samuel Figured they needed a visual. Well, God did through Samuel. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest? Is it not wheat harvest today? And they knew that it was. I will call unto the Lord and he shall send thunder and rain that ye may perceive and see your wickedness is great which ye have done in the sight of the Lord in asking you a king. So Samuel called unto the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel and all the people said unto Samuel, notice how, I mean, this was serious. We, you know, it's hard for us maybe to get into the thought of that. But I mean, you've probably been in a storm here in Oklahoma. You live around here long enough. You've been in a storm where you've cried out to God. Right? And they said to Samuel, I'm in verse 19, pray for thy servants of the Lord thy God that we die not. For we have added unto our sin this evil to ask us a king. And Samuel said unto the people, fear not, ye have done all this wickedness, yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And turn ye not aside, for then should you go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, the man of God says, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. How about this verse? Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things He 
hath done for you. Just think about how great a things God has done for you. But then a final warning in verse number 25 concludes Samuel's basically final message to the whole nation of Israel. But if you will not, I'm sorry, but if you shall do wickedly, you shall be consumed. The word consumed there literally means you'll be washed away, wiped out. You'll be consumed, both ye and your king. So tonight, I realize that's a lengthy reading. I appreciate you giving good attention. When a Nation Needs Revival is our series here through the book of 1 Samuel. And tonight's message is entitled this, God's Grace to Repeat Offenders. God's Grace to Repeat Offenders. I want to thank God that He's got grace for repeat offenders. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. Let's give attention to this here tonight. Repeat offenders. If you um, do any kind of a search to see statistics on repeat offenders, um, you'll see that the numbers are pretty high. Um, The idea of it is falling back, relapsing. This uh, one report that I came across is a little bit dated. It's 2007. But the state of Washington um, in that particular year entered 29,196 felon sentences, felons, felonies, nearly 30,000. Approximately 75% were male. That says a lot. 65% were offenders who had had a history of one or more prior offenses. 65% had already done some time and now they're back. We have those that work in the county jail. We have those that do ministry in prisons. I imagine that they uh, could could tonight uh, testify that that's exactly right, that we see some come back in. Harvard uh, Political Review said that per capita, the United States is the world leader in incarcerations. Not something for us to be proud of, but it is the case per capita. Within three years of release, two out of three former prisoners are rearrested. Two out of three. So repeat offenders is a real reality in our day and time. I've noticed this to be true. You don't have to have a prison sentence to be a repeat offender. You say, I don't really like the terminology if you're talking to me about me being a repeat offender. Well, have you sinned? Then you've offended God. Have you done it more than once? Yes, then you're a repeat offender. We're all repeat offenders. Oh, this is going over fantastic here tonight, just like I thought it might. But it's true. Every one of us have sinned against God, asked His forgiveness only to do maybe even that very sin again. And again. 
and maybe even again. I'm speaking from personal experience. Abraham was a repeat offender. Same sin he committed, chapter 12, he committed in chapter 20. And then his son, Isaac, did the same sin. Peter denied the Lord three times in a row, all within a short span of time, a repeat offender. But we're here tonight because God still loves repeat offenders. And he gives grace to them. And we certainly ought not to frustrate grace. But tonight I hope and pray that this message would be an encouragement to maybe somebody that has gone back into sin. Maybe even recent. I was praying before the message and uh, before the service tonight and saying, God, I don't know tonight who has been found out to be in sin again. I don't know what's going on. I'm not, I'm not preaching this tonight with anything in particular on my mind in terms of an individual or, or individuals that maybe have, have done wrong and blown it. And, and uh, now there's this big strain between you and your spouse or your family or your friendships, or I, I don't know. And, but I know this to be true, that in large and small ways, uh, in, from our eyes, we sin and sin and sin again. And yet the grace and mercy of God continues strong to us. Samuel is, uh, is speaking to some repeat offenders. Can I say that about Israel? They were some repeat offenders. I mean, they had sinned. I mean, he, he enumerates it there. He just gets a little sampling of their history to say, you know, you sinned against God, you cried out to God, and he delivered you. But he's trying to clarify some issues here. Now, they, they just had a wonderful victory against the children of Ammon and under uh, the leadership of their brand new king, Saul. And it was such a victory that some were, were even saying, I mean, we didn't go back far enough in the reading of chapter 11 to see that some said, now, where are those who said that Saul couldn't do anything? Where are those that were against Saul being king? Let's go ahead and just get rid of them. I mean, they were ready to kill him. Saul said, we're not, we're not taking anybody's life here today because God's given us this victory. If you allow me to paraphrase, that's what Saul said. I, I mean, we had a moment to rejoice in Saul and we took it last week. That he had it right. I mean, he, he said, listen, it's not me. I'm just a farm boy. But God gave us the victory. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. And, and so they had a great, great victory. And so I believe what's happening here is, as Samuel, we reread, that he said, let's go to Gilgal, which Gilgal was a very significant place in the life of Israel because that was their base of operations as they took the land of Canaan. They'd come back to Gilgal as they took further land uh, in, under the leadership of Joshua. So it was a very significant place. And so Samuel says, I want to meet you at Gilgal and we want to renew, or we, we might use this terminology, we want to rededicate ourselves unto God. We want to rededicate ourselves. We want to be right with God. And I, I want to clarify some things here. And Samuel's just trying to help them to move forward. Because listen, listen tonight, when you've totally blown it, you only have two choices. You're either going to make matters worse by doing more wrong or, or you're going to get things right with God and do right. That's it. Now, I, I'd advise you on the second option. That when you've blown it, then don't keep blowing it Get things right with God and he'll help you to move on. 
And so that's what Samuel is saying. But he's also wanting to make very, very clear, and I think it behooves us tonight to consider the same truth, that you cannot replace God or attempt to replace God without serious consequences. And Samuel is driving that home, and they need some guidance from the man of God. They need some guidance, ultimately, of course, from God. And he's reminding them of their past for the sake of their future. And one thing we've not learned from history is that we don't learn from history, as someone has said. And that's exactly what's going on here, is that they had blown it in the past, and God had redeemed them, and yet they were prone to do exactly the same thing. They needed to understand where they stood with God. And I want to cause you tonight, with the help of God, for you to, call, to, be, to be exhorted to consider where you stand with God. They were tempted to trust their new king. Saul seemingly had succeeded. But even Saul himself acknowledged, no, that's not the case. It's God that did this. And Saul pointed to the Lord, but I'm telling you, given Israel's history, they were in danger of not listening to that exhortation. And they would be prone to think, no, 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 you did a great job and we'll, we're, we're gonna, we wanted a king that would lead us in battle and that's what we got. Samuel here is clearing off the spot to say, listen, you have broken the terms of your agreement with God. You've violated your covenant with God. You have a broken relationship with God and we can't go on acting like that's not been the case. Are you listening, listening here? Samuel, as a man of God, was saying, listen, we can't just go on acting like this, even you desiring a king could just kind of be swept under the rug and we just move on. He said, we need to deal with this. We need to deal with this because the desire that prompted them the sinful desire that prompted them to want a king like all the other nations would manifest itself later in some other form if it was not dealt with at the root. It's best to deal with it at the root. If all you do is just take a weed eater and knock down weeds, guess what's going to come up in less than a week? Those same weeds. You, you got to deal with it at the root. Remove it. And here's, here's what's so, so dangerous about all of us is that once we get to feeling better, we think we don't need to finish the medication that the doctor told us to take. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know, he says, take these antibiotics these days, and then you're feeling fantastic. And you think, I don't need these things. I'll save them for another day. I, listen, that, that might work physically, but it won't work spiritually. You've got to deal with it to the level that God wants you to deal with it. And so Samuel is saying, listen, we got to dig down to this and that's uncomfortable. I don't like it. You don't like it. We don't like it. None of God's people like it. But the man of God is saying, listen, we got to dig down to the root of this so that we get that root out so that you don't relapse. So you don't go back into sin. You, there's some things here that you need to understand. And so here they are at Gilgal and, and Samuel is trying and working hard to make sure they understand that God was not okay with your desire of a king, not because he would not want to give you a king, but because of what prompted you to want a king. 
because he would give them a king. We've already, we've talked about that week by week. For those of you that are guests, we've been covering this week by week and God had made provision for them to have a king. Hang on, wait a minute. Here, here's, what, here's what was the problem. They wanted a king like all the other nations, which would have violated what God said their king should be like. So they had, listen, they had a desire that God could not righteously fulfill and not violate his own word. Are you following me? Because they wanted a king that would have great wealth. They wanted a king that would have a bunch of women, a bunch of, a big harem. They wanted a king that would amass great military might into themselves. They wanted a king that was actually completely the opposite of the king that God wanted for them. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that and just trying to drive that home is that every one of us here tonight need to make sure that our desires are such that God can rightfully grant because he won't grant a desire that's not right. He, he, he allowed them to have this type of king but listen, it was rather to their detriment. Do you understand what I'm saying there? So I, I'm just, before we move on, I just thought I'd drive that home one more time that we better make sure our desires are right before God. Because the worst thing that can happen to you is for you to get what you want at a time when you're not delighting in God. And so here they are dealing with this and, and he's trying to get down to that root level. By the way, their greatest problems were not around them. Their greatest problems were in them. And your greatest problems is not the people at work. It's not the people at church. It's not the people out in Oklahoma City. It's not your, your past and all those things. Listen, your greatest problems are right here inside of you. It's not the people around you. So Samuel is working at this through a process of elimination to help pinpoint where as a nation they went wrong. And here's what he does first. He starts with himself. He says, have I done anything wrong to you? Have I defrauded you? Have I taken your oxen? Have I, have, have I taken advantage of you? Have I used the ministry to benefit myself? There's a danger right there. Um, I'm thankful tonight that Samuel had nothing to hide. He wasn't sinless, but he, was, he didn't have anything to hide. Hang on, wait just a minute. Before we move on, I know we got a lot of verses to cover, but I think this is worth us stopping to think about here because, because there's a danger that, a, that even a man of God could have a public ministry and live differently privately. It's a danger. It's a dangerous calling. In fact, there's a book that we recommend that the young men read at, at the school. We've gone through it even in, in a video format with the pastoral staff called A Dangerous Calling. And it's how that there are, there, there's the tendency that those that are preachers don't take part in the same grace of God that they say that others need. But I'm telling you, I'm a sinner like anybody else and I need the same grace of God that you need. And I need to be taught and I need to be instructed and I need everything that you need. And here's what's ironic about it. On the, on the back cover of that book, A Dangerous Calling, there are five preachers, five prominent preachers that recommended that every preacher ought to read this book. And in the process of time, three of those five preachers have fallen in immorality. It's a dangerous calling. We, we're going through in our pastoral development. We do that once a month. We could use it more, but we do it at least once a month, you know, just with time. And we're going through a book called The Pastor's Soul. It's basically saying the same thing. It's saying this, listen, you better take heed to yourself and not just have a public ministry. You better have a private devotion to God. Because if, if you've got a gap there, and listen, this is good preaching for any of us, not just those that are going into ministry. That's good for all of us because a lot of our Christianity, 
Christianity can be rather public like this, and yet privately you can be living wickedly. Samuel says, let's, let's analyze this. Where did we go wrong? Have I wronged you? Have I defrauded you? Have I lived one way in public and a different way privately? And they said, no way. No, Samuel, you've, you've been right with God. You've been the right kind of leader for us. We acknowledge that. It's not you. Then he moves on, okay? Well, and this we'll move on. He says this, well, let's, let's consider the righteous acts of God. Has God done you wrong? Has God delivered you? Yes. Over and over he delivered us. Wait a minute. Hang on. Did God need to deliver you because he was weaker than the other gods? No, that wasn't the reason they needed to be delivered. They needed to be delivered because they were weak towards temptation and gave in. And, and as a result of that, what you see in the book of Judges is that God didn't, God didn't let them sin without consequence. And thus to the north, Sisera and, and, and Jabin, the king of the Canaanites, to the north attacked them. And then another time, to the east, the, the people of Moab attacked them. And then from the south, the Philistines came in. In other words, he's saying this, you have sinned and it's been with consequence. Sin always has consequences. And he said this, listen, listen how good God's been to you. Every time you got in a spot and you couldn't get yourself out of it and you cried out to God. In fact, he went all the way back to the inception of their, of their nation's history. And he said, when you were in Egypt and you cried out to God and you asked God to deliver you, then God used Moses and Aaron. But beloved, listen tonight, it was not Moses and Aaron that delivered them. It was God using Moses and Aaron. It was not Moses that divided the Red Sea. It was not Moses that turned the, the, the river Nile into blood. No, it was God using Moses. That's Samuel's point. God delivered you then. And then when you had the situation with Sisera, God rose up these judges. And so then he mentions Jephthah and Gideon and all these judges and even himself and how that back in chapter nine, when the Philistines were attacking and they were scared out of their minds, they cried out to God, oh God, help us and we'll serve you. You ever pray like that? Oh God, if you'll get me out of this one, I'll serve you again. Oh God, I'll serve you again. And thank God that God doesn't say to us, whatever. I mean, right? He could rightfully say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard that before. In fact, I've heard that from a bunch of people before. I'm glad God doesn't have an attitude like we have an attitude. He really doesn't. And, and so he delivered them and he delivered them and he delivered them and he delivered them five times in this account. He's saying, listen, look at these instances. Here you are. You sin. You cried. God delivered. You sin. You cried. God delivered over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But verse 12, something's different. In verses 1 through 12, the people cry out to God and they acknowledge their sin. We've sinned against you. We've transgressed against you. We've turned to Baal and Asheroth. We have sinned. But in verse 12, when Nahash the snake, remember his name means snake. When Nahash the Ammonite came against you, if you look back at chapter 11, I honestly, I missed this when I read through chapter 11 previously, but chapter 11 and verse number four, look at it just right quick in your Bibles there. In chapter 11 and verse number four, when Nahash came against them, the Bible says that they went and they cried unto who? The Lord? What does it say, Brother Caleb? It says they cried unto the people, doesn't it? Is that right? Verse 11, or chapter 11, verse four, they cried unto the people. 
They didn't cry out to God. They went into Gilgal, or sorry, not Gilgal. They went into Gibeah of Saul and they said, Nahash the Ammonite, he's come against us and he's threatened all of our lives and the only way we can get out of this is we give him his, our right eye. That's a bum deal. They cried out to the people. Listen, they didn't cry out to God. How many say I think that's a problem? You know what they wanted? They wanted the deliverance without the confession. Wait a minute. Oh, man, I, I can't move on to where oh, I'm making sure everybody here is getting this. They wanted the deliverance without the repentance. They wanted the benefit without the hard work of confessing sin and forsaking sin. They wanted all the benefits of that without the hard work of getting this right. And that was a big time problem because it's misplaced confidence in man rather than in God. And they were expecting Saul to succeed where God had supposedly failed. But I'm telling you, God had never failed them. Are you listening to me, young people? Right up here, are you listening to me? Hey, look, look, look. God had never failed them. God had never, ever failed them. And yet they're acting like God had failed and they ran instead of crying out to God like they had in their past even. They cried out to God and he heard them and he delivered them over and over and over and over again. But here was their sin and Samuel wanted to make sure they did not overlook this, that they wanted the benefit of serving God. They wanted the safety. They wanted the health. They wanted the wealth. They wanted his blessings, but they did not necessarily want him. In fact, they wanted their king. And that was a problem. And Samuel wasn't going to brush over it and glaze over it. And he wasn't going to say, well, you know, I mean, I, I guess it worked out for you because, look, you got delivered. No, not at all. Samuel knew that if they didn't understand the severity of their sin, they'd be bound to repeat it. Because, hang on, because until the people of God, I'm talking to you, I'm talking to me, I'm talking to all of us. Until we see our sin the way that God sees our sin, we're prone not to leave it. Hang on, wait a minute. Everybody getting that? If somebody's asleep beside you, wake them up because they need to hear this because until they see their sin like God sees their sin, you're prone to stay in it. They needed to see and understand the severity of their sin. And so Samuel was not, was not willing to move on until they saw for themselves that, listen, what you wanted, what you thought would meet all of your needs, what you thought was what you really needed. If you don't get this right with God, it'll be your downfall. God was going to be merciful to them and he was going to help them move forward and they could continue. But wait a minute. They had to do it on God's terms, not their terms. And until they saw the severity of their sin and the sufficiency of God's grace... They'd go right back in their sin and not think it's a big deal. And so what did, what did Samuel do? Samuel said, um, we're going to have an illustrated message right here. Man, wouldn't this be awesome if as a preacher you could have this kind of an illustrated message? He said, uh, it's wheat harvest, right? May to June, somewhere right in there, dry season, wheat harvest. It's dry, no rain, no thunderstorms. It's about to rain. It's about to thunder. You're about to see a big, I mean, it, it, I, I think probably it was a clear day. And Samuel said, sweet harvest, right? God's going to show you how he feels about 
your sin. It'd be like us having a uh, thunderstorm and maybe tornadoes in the month of December. I mean, we kind of ex expect them in May. It's not if they're coming, it's just which day, right? And how many days, right? I mean, it really, that's how it is. I mean, it, it, you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. But, but, but when you hear thunder, boom, in December, at Christmas, something's not right. You hear the tornado siren going off in December, except on Saturday at noon. Something's not right. Something's out of whack here. Something's not in its normal course here. Something abnormal is going on here. And so what happened, I don't know if it was just all of a sudden, they looked off into whatever direction it was and this big thunderhead was rolling in. And the next thing you know, it's thundering and it's lightning and, and maybe there's a hailstorm. I don't, I don't know, I'm not trying to add to it. It's just torrential rain. And it was, I mean, to tell you, friend, it was on. And they were crying out in the midst of all this and saying, oh, Samuel, please pray for us. We don't want to die. They had to see the severity of their sin if they were going to go forward. Yeah. And they had to see that it was unseasonable that this storm would come at this time of the year, but it also was unseasonable. I think there's a parallel here. One individual pointed this out, that it seems like God is making the message to them that, listen, just as uncharacteristic that you would have a thunderstorm in the month of May or June, opposite of our months, right? But just as it's uncharacteristic and, and things seem to be out of kilter or out of sync here, it's also uncharacteristics and things are out of order for you to ask for a king to replace me. And God is saying it's not right and I can't tolerate it among my people. And thus he showed them the severity of their sin and the consequences of their sin for their own good so they wouldn't go back to that desire again. Hey friend, if you, if you, look, at, if you look at your sin of pornography as man, it's not hurting anybody but me. You're not looking at it the right way. You're not looking at it the way that God does. If you're, if you're looking at your infidelity against your wife or against your husband or against your family and thinking, oh, you know, everybody in America is doing this now and they even make TV shows out of it. You're not looking at it the way that God does, friend. God looks at it as he does and all he, as, as he only can do and he has not changed his morality for, to accommodate this nation or any other nation. I'm telling you, he still is against immorality, still against pornography and all the other sins that sometimes we tend to think, well, it's not that big of a deal. Listen, friend, it thunders. He thunders against sin. Don't you take it lightly. You can't move on until you take it seriously. If you're going to move on and you're going to get things right instead of being a repeat offender over and over again, here's what you better know. You better know the severity of, of sin and you better understand this also, the sufficiency of God's grace. Because God calls the rain to stop and he calls the wind to stop and he calls the thunder to stop and he spared their lives. And Samuel said this, listen, would you please learn from this? And he said this, fear the Lord. Serve the Lord. And two different times in the text, you can look at it a little bit later, but two different times in the text, he talks about, you need to know, you know the greatness of your sin, but you also need to know the greatness of your God. And he says, you need to fear the Lord. And two different times he says this, serve the Lord with all your heart. Serve the Lord with all your heart. 
and, and obey him. And if you will fear him and serve him and obey him, you'll continue and God will give you a brand new start, a brand new opportunity. I'm telling you, God wasn't playing games with Saul. He wasn't playing games with the nation of Israel. He was meaning this and giving them a legitimate opportunity. And yes, sadly, Saul at least blew it again. And God was clear. I'm giving you another opportunity here. But if you don't fear me and you don't obey me and you don't love me from the heart and you go through the religious motions and you go back into sin, you'll be consumed you and your king. Now there's folks here tonight that could testify God is serious about sin. And maybe there's some that are so young here and the consequences against maybe their sin. I mean, it's landed them in timeout or it's landed them getting a good old fashioned spanking or something like that, that, that got their attention. And they say things like, like this, man, I don't ever want to do that again. Well, that's the fear of God getting through to them. But there may be some here tonight that think uh, this isn't as serious as preachers making it. But there's plenty of families tonight that have been devastated and trust that has been broken. And we better not even dare to try to just move on acting like it's not a big deal. Because it is a big deal. And I'm thankful tonight for the grace and the mercy of God that He shows to us over and over again that could come a point in time in your life where God says, that's enough. The New Testament says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a, of a, a living and God uh, consuming. He's a consuming fire. In other words, it's, he's saying this, listen, don't take sin lightly. He wants you to continue. He wants you to get up and go on. But if you're going to do that, you better acknowledge your sin for what it is. And don't bypass repentance and get back into life and expect everybody to treat you like they always have when you haven't really dealt with this at the heart level that you ought to. Because it's just a matter of time until that sin or some other like it comes up in your heart because it's actually this. It's rooted in self-will and selfishness and it's going to cause you problems again and again and again until you let the Holy Spirit of God use the Word of God to get it rooted out of your heart and thank His holy name that He's willing to go to that level and spend that kind of time and show us that kind of mercy and show us that kind of grace and even give us the grace to help when we come to the end of ourselves and we say, God, I've tried but I keep falling back into this. That's exactly where you need to be because it's not your power that's going to get over this. It'll be God doing it through you. He's giving you another chance. Praise His holy name. He's giving you another chance, another opportunity. And Samuel is saying to them, before we go any further here, let's clarify some things. Let's go back to where this really went wrong. And it wasn't with me as a man of God. He wasn't doing that, I think, in a self-serving way. In fact, that was completely his point. And the problem certainly doesn't lie with God. And the problem really is not Hazor to the, to the north or, or the Philistines to the south or the enemies to the east. 
or the coming enemies from the West. It's none of those. That's not really your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is you and your wicked heart that tries to make life work without God. And the sad thing is, is sometimes it might work for a little while, but it won't work ultimately, and it certainly won't work at the judgment seat. And there'll be a lost reward, and you'll wish that you had served God rather than serving yourself. Thank God. He's a merciful God. Let's stand together here tonight. I, I don't know tonight in terms of where you are in personal life. But I know that God still loves you. That's really a big message that was coming across in this chapter is, I know you've sinned, but I still love you. And I want to help you move forward. But you've got to acknowledge your sin and confess it and forsake it. And you've got to rely on my grace and serve me with all of your heart. When you do that, God will give you the help that you need. I trust God tonight. I trust the timing of our great God to shepherd this flock. And if tonight maybe you're at a place where you needed this message tonight, I want to encourage you to just come and fall down on this altar and say, God, thank you for speaking to me. I needed it. So Lord, please help tonight in this invitation. Thank you for dealing with us about our sin. Thank you for Calvary, of course. We talk about the righteous acts of our Lord and the most prominent, and the one that applies to every one of us, is the way that you dealt with our sin at Calvary. I thank you, dear Lord. And I pray tonight for those that maybe have in their minds that, that if they just had something or someone in their life, that that would answer all their problems. But Lord, that'd be the confidence in the wrong place. I pray that you'd help us to truly repent tonight after a godly sort be able to move forward, see and sin the way you do, serving you for who you are. Please, dear God, I pray in Jesus' holy and righteous name. Amen. We're singing tonight, page 241. Jesus paid it all.